and welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast series from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. How do we recognise the modern history of British towns and villages? For Dr Lisa Taylor, answering this question for her local area has become something of a passion project. Together with artist Catherine Batola, she's put together the Intertwining Threads exhibition, which documents the residents of local town Bailiff Bridge and their relationship with the area's former major employer. I'm joined today by Lisa, Catherine, Bailiff Bridge residents George Graves and Angela Gash, who contributed to the exhibition. Just first question, Lisa, could you explain what Intertwining Threads is and what made you decide to want to do the project? So in 2016, I went back to the community of Bailiff Bridge because I wanted to ask what was happening to ex-industrial communities after the factory buildings close. I got a connection to the place because my family worked at First Carpets. My mother worked there, my stepfather worked there. And I'd worked there too in the, in the holidays while I was at university. And I also went to Bailiff Bridge during infant school. And so I got a personal connection to place. And the, the germ of the, the idea really came to me one time when I was being carried up Berkeley Lane with me and dad in the car, past all the demolished buildings that were once Firths. And I could feel dad's emotion in the car as we travelled up the hill. I could feel that sense of loss and sadness. And my mind kind of widened out for thinking about what other ex-workers really felt about the loss of, of the factory and the loss of the village, actually, effectively. So Intertwining Threads comes from the first phase of research that I started back in 2016, where I got a group of ex-workers together to tell me about what life was like before demolition what it was like to work at Firths. But then also I wanted to think about what life was like in the present in 2016 as we walked around a demolished village, essentially. And there was a great deal of trauma and loss in the responses that people came up with. So intertwining threads, if you like, is a kind of second phase of the research where myself and Catherine got together to think about the problem that that earlier research had pulled up, which was... What was the state of community in the present? And in particular, what ex-workers had told me is that the people who were newer to Bailiff Bridge, who lived in the new new houses, the new builds, built over the once mills, that the ex-workers didn't really know the people in the new building. And how could they come together to become social, to get to know each other and to build more community coherence? So that's really where Intertwining Threads begins. The next question I was going to ask Catherine, just about you and Lisa. How did you get to know Lisa and how did you come to work on the project as well? So in 2017, I was doing a residency in humanities department at Leeds Beckett University, working with one of Lisa's colleagues called uh, Dr. Rachel Rich. I had a sort of hot desk in the in the department and one day I was sat there reading and I just happened to hear Lisa talking to someone about about this project she was doing and she she mentioned the name Bailey Bridge and my ears immediately pricked up because I grew up in Bailey Bridge although I hadn't lived there for quite a number of years I we moved away when I was 10 11 11 probably I had quite fond memories of growing up there I spent my childhood there 
so so we just started a conversation I just asked a question and we just that's how the conversation started and it's it was it was kind of there was a number of iterations of us trying to get funding and talking about the project and and eventually we we managed to get to get some funding to be able to to make it happen so that's really interesting the next question I have is for Angela what was your role at Firth's and what was it like to work there as well well like George I I started at 15 at Firth's and my mother and her family all came from Bailiff Bridge so there were Bailiff Bridges over generations and although I spent a lot of my childhood in Plymouth because we were a naval family when mum married dad and we we'd come up to stay for six months or a year in fact, I went to Bailey Bridge School twice um, because I had to school while I was up here. And of course, then after Dad left the Navy, we settled back in Bailey, which is where we came from. I automatically was sent to first because Mum worked there as a sewer. All her family had worked there and the outer family, they'd all worked at first. And so I, I followed the family tradition and, and went into the mill. And I became a winder, which is part of the process of, of the carpet going to the loom. It was very tight-knit. It was a very tight-knit community. Um, lots of leg pulling and, and things like that. But it was also a very physical job. Winding especially was very physical. The conditions back in, in the 60s when I started, we had things like fibre in the air with no extractor fans. Different conditions to, to modern conditions. But it was, it was really like one big family. Everyone knew everyone else. We watched them grow up and get married. In later years, we heard of people who had died. We were quite bereft when the place stopped. And, and as, a, as a winder, I stayed in that department for years. But in later years, I would give the workout. I was known as a service person. And so I did spend a lot of my time in the weaving sheds. And I moved throughout the mill. And so I, I really knew everyone. And it, it just stopped so suddenly. It just stopped so suddenly. And a lot of us were too old, really. There was nowhere to go to be a weaver. There weren't enough carpet firms, really, to accommodate all our weavers. And some of them quite advanced in age as, as working terms, so they would have to find other things. Mm. And, and I went and became a cleaner. And I also worked in a cost-cutter shop. I kept that job up until I was made retired. I always look back on my days at first with much affection. Mm. Much affection. When walking through the village, there's a big hole in the village even now where the main mill was knocked down, it was demolished, and nothing in its place yet. Mm. And that's a reminder of every time we walk through. Mm. may not mean as much to the new people because that's how it was when their houses were built. But for us, that's part of everything around the community, the pub, the games, the sports fields. We had bowling green courts. We had our own clubhouse, which is now being demolished. And it was just like everything had gone. But the actual job in the mill, I remember very fondly. I was there a long time. That's a really interesting answer. And just following on from that, Talisa and Catherine, obviously you kind of have this big task on to kind of portray this massive hole in the community that has been left. How did you go about starting the project in terms of identifying what you wanted to focus on and identifying the people as well who you wanted to mm. be involved in the project? So one of the findings from the research that I'd done in, in around 2016 was very similar to the sorts of things that Angela has just talked about now. The idea that living alongside demolition, you know, the, this hole in the ground where the iconic Clifton Mill had once been, deeply symbolic of loss, 
People talked about the fact that there were no spaces where people could have convivial meetings or places of sociability where they could meet with people who lived in the new builds. And I guess some of the comments that came through were around the fact that these new people would be possibly on Facebook.com or being sociable digitally through their phones. But where could they meet socially within the village? And there are very few spaces for that to happen. So one of the key aims of intertwining threads was to try to make a space where people could have a conversation about the pride of making carpets through the use of hand gesture, and that this would bring together both ex-workers and people in those new buildings. And so we worked quite hard to try to bring newcomers into the project, but it was actually really quite difficult. I got some of my own personal contacts from working in the village in 2016, And then we put various call outs to get that community back. But because that's a nicely knitted together community, one interview would probably lead to another. So we could get hold of ex-workers very easily, but it was a much more challenging matter to try and get newcomers. And we leafleted the whole village. I mean, walking across its old and new spaces, but brought very few people forward, actually, unfortunately. Although the people that we did bring forward, it was super to have them. And a very convivial conversation took place within the workshops. Now, Catherine might want to talk more about that. Yeah, and I think just to say that, I think it was obviously massively impacted by COVID and the fact that we were trying to do this. The project started in January when we were in the middle of a lockdown. And a lot of those ways you would normally find a way into communities through groups just weren't functioning. And if they were functioning, they weren't functioning visibly. So it was really hard to kind of find your way into that community of people that are living there now. We did do some work laterally with the school, which was a really great way of connecting with with families through the kind of children. But that was really also really difficult to do the last academic year because schools were just kind of functioning on bubbles and dealing with COVID as well. So that was a bit of an issue that we had to kind of work around. But yeah, the workshops, there was a few sort of starting points I'd kind of imagined or assumed that there would be interested in how people use their hands and bodies and how people might have remembered that. And I kind of almost imagined that people in the mills would have communicated with their hands, but that transpired not to be true at all (laughs) when I talked to everybody. But what was really interesting when we brought people together to start talking about what they did and remembering was that, that, that they actually did start to sort of use their hands to describe. When I met George, he was like sort of doing this to sort of putting his pliers in and pulling them out and show me how he did certain tasks. And so, so that idea of, of reanimating that kind of work through the body became quite important and focusing on the hands felt like a way to do that, especially I suppose, because hands are quite intimate, aren't they? We shake hands with people, we communicate through our hands, you know, there's a lot of things like sign language, I suppose, but also like how hands and touch become quite a kind of interesting thing through COVID. Like we weren't touching each other anymore. We weren't really touching things. So, yeah, so the hands felt like a a really important focus. And I I guess in terms of taking photographs, it was kind of easy to see how that could be done with a lot of people in terms of staging a photo shoot. It is really interesting. I've I've seen a few of the photos just just on the Leeds Becker website. And I imagine that you have to really sit down and think, okay, how am I going to capture this? I think it was Um, having to try and do it without having the machinery. So, like, when you talk to George and he talks about the machinery, it's really difficult, isn't it, George, to sort of... Talk about what you do and get your head around what you do without having the machine in front of you because it's quite complicated. I still, I can't really fathom out how it's worked, even though I've seen a loom and even though George has shown me it, it's like, 
you know, it's still, it's a really complicated process how, you know, the warp and the weft go and all that. It's really complicated. And it's, so it's really hard to think about how you do that without the machinery and without the place. Even if I'm working with historic sites, you know, where the buildings exist and objects might exist, but the people don't. And this was almost the reverse in that I had people to talk to about their experiences, but I didn't really have a site or any tools or machinery. So it was kind of almost like a bit of a reverse process for me in some ways in thinking about how to kind of develop work because the source material were, were people, not not archival documents and buildings. It was actually people and their stories and their narratives. So that's why the hands felt quite important because it was very personal. And I think the, the sort of inspiration for the imagery was also drawing from like paintings. So I was kind of really looking a lot at kind of almost like still life paintings and quite classical classic paintings and sculptures to try and which was about sort of giving it a kind of uh, a reverence I suppose uh, aesthetically that's that's really interesting and in terms of just the the exhibition so from from start to finish how how long did it take well I suppose we technically started in January but really started in April it was a much more compressed project than it probably ideally would have been so we started trying to get people involved in April ran the workshops in June and July. I had lots of meetings with people independently as well. Then the exhibition was in... Half term, yeah. yeah. Um, and, then, and then there were some events subsequently following that, which were getting people to the Industrial Museum where Angela's a volunteer to see looms, to actually see some of the kind of machinery and, and understand it more from that sort of side of things. And then the other was going to the archive that's held by... Bankfield Museum to look at the kind of paper-based material that they still have there about first, which gives you an insight into the the kind of value of those, you know, the carpets were really luxurious, expensive, high quality products. And you don't really get a sense of that without mm. seeing that. I can imagine. I think it's definitely the case for a lot of products, I guess, that things like globalisation, you lose that quality element in, in favour of more of the mass-produced stuff. It's economy and cost, isn't it? And and like good quality carpets cost money. And I guess once you have cheaper imports, then it's it's kind of that shifts the, the market. And I think ultimately, I don't know, Angela and George, whether that was possibly one of the reasons that births started to struggle because of that shift in cheaper imports and different ways of manufacturing that were quicker and cheaper yarns and stuff. I would say definitely. And also the fact that times change and people didn't want carpets that would last 30 or 40 years. As first carpets have done and would do, and people didn't want that. The move was to a a more modern approach with carpets that you could lay down for maybe five years even and then change your decor altogether. So the demand for it changed, but mm-hmm. it was definitely brought on by the cheap imports, I think, don't you, George? Oh, definitely. I think that's what started the uh, decline. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because I sort of feel like there's a whole shift now back to like thinking about sustainability and like having things, buying things that last longer and not living so wastefully. And that idea that you would rip up a perfectly good carpet after five years because you want a different colour has just seemed so yeah. wasteful, doesn't it? I mean, the other thing we'd want to say about the exhibition is that we managed to get Blackshaw Holdings to give us access to the boardroom where most of the management decisions were made about first carpets in its business so it was really super to be able to show these works which were about lording hand skills as Catherine has said in a space that was oratic and quite 
well, the, the register of going into that building, because it was around management, one felt kind of elevated as you walked up the wooden stairs to get into that room. So it was really special to be able to curate and show those pictures within that space. Catherine? Yeah, and I think it was also about, you know, there was that kind of, yeah, sort of placing the hands of people that had made the carpets in that environment was really important. And also just because it was one of the last remaining mill buildings that still functions. So it was really important, I felt, to use that. You know, originally we thought about doing something on the site, but it just proved too difficult to try and make the work outside. And but I think it worked really well because I think it was really special. I don't know how you, I, I wasn't there when you two went Angela and George, but it was quite special, I think, going into that space again for people. Yeah, I've never um, been into the boardroom in my life. You've never been into the boardroom ever, George, really? Oh, never, never. And can I just say that I also have never, I never was privy to the boardroom, obviously not, but when they built the showroom, which is next to those offices, um, and it's now offices themselves, but it, it was where all the samples were kept and the customers were shown. And so we did see the officers and we did see, but we never we were never privy. But of course, after first, the first thing I did when I was made redundant was join the cleaning agency that cleaned at first because it did carry on for so long. And so I became a cleaner there. And so I would I cleaned the boardroom <laughs> and I cleaned the officers and I cleaned those stairs. As you say, you felt quite elevated as you came up. And so I saw the boardroom every night after that. So I was. it was lovely to go when you had your exhibition, which was great, by the way. But when we went to your exhibition, it was quite wonderful to go in the room because I knew it, I knew it well. I think because it was because of the wood panelling, it just they just have that it had that sort of smell of I don't know. Quality, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a carpet, it had the carpet too. There was a big divide, you see, between the bosses of first and workers. There was always a divide kept, and we were always aware of that divide. Yeah, which is why I quite enjoyed just being able to put you put your hands in that room. Without the workers, they wouldn't have existed, and I think that's what I was, you know, mm-hmm. valuing. You know, your time and skills and and labour was really important because often it's always about the people that run it, and, the, and maybe it's about with carpets, it's about the design as well. It's about what they look like, what people. See, and people forget there's a lot of graft gone into oh, the making yeah. of those. So I was kind of really interested in celebrating that, really, and it not being about the design, how they looked, which is why the images were very stripped back. So it was just about people. And I know you all had tools in some of them, which were, they were your tools that you'd kept. So that felt important. So I mean, it sounds, sounds fascinating. I mean, if I could just ask uh, Angela and, and George, uh, in, in terms of your in, involvement in the project, when you were asked to participate and think again about surfs, what kind of emotions and memories did that bring up for, for you two? Well, it's just seeing building go, not seeing the building. That's what got me. It did when they, they came and told me I was redundant after 45 years and you're leaving. You just, you get a bit of emotion with it. And, and seeing it now, where it is now, we're just a ruin. There's no there. To go through Bailiff Bridge, I can remember the mill. You don't look at houses. It's quite devaluing, isn't it, really, to see that sort of place just so sort of abandoned after such a long time. To think that in the 19th century onwards, you know, first was a huge player in the UK carpet industry, one of the big six in the 20th century. So at one time, the acreage of the mills was vast across that village. 
And for those to have been over time slowly eroded and, and pulled down and, and ruined, it's a big thing to, for people to live through and to witness. But George, what and Angela, what did you think when you were in the workshops and you were passing on and, and telling stories about Firth to newcomers? How did that feel? Well, I heard about the project through Facebook and actually I thought it was too late to join because it was almost upon us. And I do ring, was it you, Lisa, in the panic? Can I still get a ticket? Because <laughs> I, immediately I wanted to be part of it because that was my life. And it meant that I could revisit that part of my life, which was so important to me. I, I just loved the place. We worked upstairs and walking down the stairs, each step had a dip in the middle of it. And I always used to think every night when I walked down, I used to look and I used to think how many years people have walked down these steps to wear those steps down like they have and and it was very important so when I heard about the project I was dying to be a part of it and I've enjoyed I think I've been to everything haven't I mostly (laughs) and I've enjoyed every second of it also meeting lovely Lisa and Catherine lovely people but we've we've helped them in a way by telling them our experience they've also helped us I've learned things about first I didn't know and to see the artwork as well that Catherine did when we went round the boardroom is fantastic. And it's almost, well, Catherine will say that I'm emotional because I did cry once, didn't I, over something <laughs> when we were having a coffee in Tesco's. It, that's how much it meant to me. And I know from a daughter too, who, who also was part of the project, and Maria, my friend, we all worked at first and we all felt the same. And so the project has been, um, I think the word is cathart- very cathartic for us. Because even though the village is still there with that big hole, they have brought it closer to us and they've given us the opportunity to really relive a lot of our memories. And so I'm grateful for the project, Mm. absolutely. I mean, the workshops were really important because I think they provide a model for how we can promote community coherence across these potential divides where people with a strong sense of place because of making carpet together and socialising together through the paternalistic incentives that first put in place, the clubs, the social do's and so on, can talk to people who are newer with an interesting heritage, but to actually start those conversations about the lost labour and the pride in carpets, the beautiful, vibrant carpets that first made. And so if that conversation can begin, then we can begin to think about forms of sociality beyond the project to try and glue people together and to make community. And we felt we made community in the room as the workshop was happening. I think it would just be good to have been able to do it more and for longer. You know, I think it's almost like those projects need you know longer time long you know to really sort of embed in and, and particularly to in terms of how you bring new people in to that I think you know yeah. so it, feels like it could be the start of something and I think you know there's I feel like there's a lot of mileage in terms of what work could be made as well um, you know, yeah, well I mean one of the things we've talked about Catherine haven't we is the idea of using the school as a potential hub to begin some fresh work. I mean, we've been in schools and we've done some presentations about first to, to the to the children there who were enormously keen and engaged, partly because they've got some family members who've worked at first so they could bring that experience and have it valued within the classroom. And we think there's potential to bring generations together 
I'd like George and, and Angela to join me in working with the school, if we can, to bring alive that history of carpet making on the doorstep within Bailiff Bridge. And we think that that might be a way forward for continuing this kind of work. Whether it's media, history, English literature or creative writing, studying at the School of Cultural Studies and Humanities at Leeds Beckett University challenges its students to think critically and creatively about the world around us. Located in a historic city thriving with graduate employment opportunities, the School of Cultural Studies and Humanities is a community of widely published and prize-winning historians and literary critics, media scholars and professionals, novelists and poets. So, if any of these subjects interest you, whether you're starting out on your educational journey or wishing to progress professionally, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSH for more information. I think every sort of town and village across the country has its own unique story, but I can imagine that there's a lot of villages that and towns that are similar to Bailiff Bridge, that they had a major employer and it's recently closed down. How important do you think it is to modern British history that we recognise and record what life was like in these places? Well, it's absolutely huge. I mean, the fact is that there are about 16 million people who live in old industrial towns and villages like Bailiff Bridge. And that's a, quite a significant part of our population. So I think we need to work with those communities because there's a, a, a great consequence after the closure of those places. I mean, in the case of Bailiff Bridge, the people that I interviewed were reasonably lucky. Some of them managed to go on to do some wonderful things. For example, Angela uses her skills in the Calderdale Industrial Museum to demonstrate how looms worked to the general public. That's one way forward. I mean, interestingly, many of the children who were around their age group, George and Angela's age group, went off to do other things. They didn't go to the mill. So they were encouraged to go off and do other sorts of, of, of tasks. But it's, it's incredibly important that we remember, insist on remembering the history of these places and that we value and feel proudful of our industrial heritage in that respect. But also, we've probably got to look at the graver consequences of unemployment, of the fact that some people find it very difficult to make the transition from working in an industry where their skills are highly valued to working in service industries where they don't feel they can ever find a fit. So I think that's something that needs a great deal of attention. I don't know what Catherine would say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's history, isn't it? I mean, I think we we often think of history as this thing that's in in the past, you know, in the long ago past. It's all it's all very far away. But actually, you know, it, it's still history, even if it's you know five years ago, ten years ago. It's still history. It's still important. And I think what feels like really important about you know looking at first is that you have this amazing resource of knowledge, which is in the people like George and Angela and and the other people who you know, can tell their stories, they can explain what it was like. I mean, when you often sort of hear about histories, it's got something missing, isn't it? You can't smell it, you can't feel it. Historians piece it together from the facts they can find and then they have to kind of join up the dots and you never get that sense of, of how somewhere really smell or what it sounded like. And with something like the first carpets, you've got people who can tell you that, that, that stuff, that information. It's really rich and it really brings a different dimension to history, which... Mm you otherwise don't get so it's really important that it's recognized and valued because it's kind of how places evolve isn't it as well it's like 
when you when younglings go for a jump to the NFL from safety, there were none of that. There were none of that in our day when we started. <laughs> to, to take the rough with the smooth and that one it. You got knocked about a bit where if you did something wrong when you were younger, you got knocked about a bit until you got it right. But there were no health and safety, none of that. And you just got on with it. You you made a mistake and if you you didn't do it again. I mean, people yeah. gave their fingers, their lungs, their hearing yeah. to first carpets, essentially. Um, you know, they gave their bodies in those ways. Yeah, I, th- right. I think as well, a good way to keep the impetus, as, as you said, is brilliant to do through the schools. Because as a volunteer at the museum, the Industrial Museum, I take note of the children. And the children just love the history. Mm. And they're interested in how things work. Mm. They're interested in the process of how it came to be there. And so the way forward, I think, for the project is definitely through the school mm. and through the children. Because through the children, your, your history can live. It's not necessarily through the adults, actually. Mm. But through the children, um, they'll take that information in and they'll keep it and they'll bring it back at later time. Mm. And and that's what we that's what we need to do to keep it alive. It's it's absolutely great that you you have that plan as well and bring those stories to life for your children. I think it's really interesting. One of the last questions that I have for Lisa and Catherine is obviously you had those those links to Bailiff Bridge anyway, but how did working on this project change your opinion and view of Bailiff Bridge as a place and the people that, that live there? Unlike Lisa, my parents didn't work at first. I first was was just a place, the factory down the road. It was quite strange when I first went back, seeing it not being there because it was such a sort of dominant structure. And it sort of there's two bridges that went over the road. So it was very um imposing architecture that was just gone. And it just felt like a really different place. Mm. There was some traces of things I remembered, like the sweet shop was still there, but it's not a sweet shop anymore. There were things that I remembered. But it was a really different, a different place. But I think, yeah, I suppose it's just like when things change and shift, how do you retain a sense of that community that was so, so positive about Bailiff Bridge, which feels like it has been really mm. lost. It's like how, how can in future developments, how can community be retained when, when buildings have gone? I mean, I think what I would say is that the first phase of the research, which I ended up titling Landscapes of Loss, which was really about the, the traumatic experience of the loss of Firths and, and the altered beyond recognition village. The second phase, Intertwining Threads, was much more about trying to bring together these two parts of the community. I suppose what I did learn is that it was it was tough to reach the newer residents or the people that we imagine are, are the newer residents in the new builds. And p- pandemic didn't help us with that. But once we'd gained a footing and, and found some people through working in the school as well as the leafleting that we did, we found some really super interest amongst those people to come and talk to ex-workers. So I really felt a sense of the resource of hope that lies in this kind of model for how we can bridge divides between people using art as a kind of therapeutic way to start conversations between different aspects of the community. I mean, like Catherine, I'm sad that we can't, we couldn't have extended that more broadly. But as a model, it seems to me to be a super way of working with different parts of the community in ways which were really gratifying. 
I know it had its challenges, but it was it was a wonderful thing to do. And also just the chance to commemorate the pride in the skill of the work with community members it all comes from them. You know, the way in which they shared the, the, the rhythms and the repetition of those forms of work through using their hands and the way that bound people together and being able to use that as a model for talking to others and getting them to make weavers knots because we got the newcomers to do that with ex-workers. That was a really wonderful thing to see and witness. So it's been tremendously gratifying in many ways to see that idea have purchase in the movement of the workshops and really bringing people together. Just just a final question for Angela and George. When you saw the exhibition for the first time, how did it make you feel to see the place where you worked and a lot of your memories immortalised, really? Well, it will do when it all gets finished. I think we'll we'll see it better when we when it's all finished, I think. When you first start up, it's just to give them information and, and how we to set the loom up and this, that and other. It's hard to describe. You can't you can't distract to somebody if they haven't seen a loom. What you're doing. But but what was it like to be in the gallery and look at the pictures of your own hands in the work? Oh, themselves, that one, yeah, that one good. Because I'd like to I'd like her to send us some of the pictures down what she took. You know, just a small, not a big one like we had on on display. Just a small one. There are plans. Oh, are there? oh <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> just not quite got there yet. Right. What would you say, Angela? Well, I. I found it lovely. I, I really enjoyed walking around. Um, at first glance, they were all very similar. But of course, when you go to individually, they feel quite different. The artistry I found was lovely. I really enjoyed looking at the artistry because as workers, we just did. I did not, whatever. And I'm not thinking anything about the way it looked or, or any art in it. So that's what impressed me most. The fact that um, there was something rather beautiful about, and I have not got beautiful hands. That's another thing for to do. With winders, it ruins your hands. They're never the same again. But it was just beautiful to see the way that we actually hold our hands and intertwine the fingers to do the job that we do. And it all looked absolutely beautiful. But as I say, it's something we never thought about when we were doing it as a job. And so... I found it a really uplifting experience. I really did. Yes, I'd like to see them again. There's no doubt about that. To have them in that setting was psychologically quite satisfying because, as I said, <laughs> we weren't privy to that. In, we saw the bosses were high above us. And although we did have one boss, Mr. Aykroyd, Mr. Michael Aykroyd, who used to come around every week, and he spoke to every employee when he came round. But it, it was brilliant, that, because it doesn't happen really these days. But you still had the sense that you really had a bit of a superior displaying a little bit of, you know, I, I don't really know how to put it, but you felt bestowed upon, should we say, because they were a different, different circles, different set. They it wouldn't have that boardroom without your hands, though. Do you know what, you know, without your, your hands? Well, this is the whole point. Oh, I mean, he used to come back, which was unusual in those days, to have that tanned. He was always tanned. He was always on holiday. <laughs> and it was thanks to us first workers. Jacob, what is holidays? Saying that <laughs> it was done by the graft of our hands. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why, that's why it did feel when, when, when we discovered 
the boardroom was still there it was like it has to it's almost like it has to be in there it has to oh, be in there perfect. because yeah. because that feels really um like right that it's there yeah. good thinking <laughs> yeah we can't wait for the board no we want to see that finished yeah and um, because that will immortalize it even more for us and and all we can say is it's been an absolute joy to meet lisa and catherine and, and the various photographers and filmmakers all lovely people have been very good with us i personally have enjoyed every minute of the project mm-hmm. and it can go on as long as it wants for me um if ever we need it for anything to help i'm there and I don't know how George Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll take part in all tip goes to, to just let them know what first we like, how it works. Because they're not going to get carpets like this back again. Mm. No, they're no, not, no. They're not going to come back mm. unless you've got a load of brass. Mm. <laughs> Thanks to Lisa, Catherine, Angela and George for the time today. And if you'd like to find out more about Intertwining Threads, Lisa's currently working on a book on the project. It's due in 2023, so keep an eye out for that as well. Thanks for listening to Beckett Talks. Join us next week for another episode. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.